following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. And He Thyself in the sun, 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 in
message the Lord has put on my heart, atheism of the self, atheism of the self. Oh Lord, would you quicken this word and would you deal with my heart and the heart of each in this house? I bind now in the name of Jesus every power of darkness that would try to confuse or lead astray. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. The atheism of self. It's quite apparent that one cannot serve God and self at the same time. And so most in the body of Christ have chosen not to serve God. This is not a new condition. This atheism of self. We find the story in Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Every indication would be that this man had the intent to come and worship Jesus. But it's very quickly made clear to us that he was not coming to worship Jesus. He was coming to get eternal life. And when he refers to Jesus as good, he is really talking about himself. And he is saying, I will call you good. In return, please call me good. He came worshiping self. And so he was an atheist of self. He did not come to worship Jesus. He desired eternal life. And so just as a pagan would go to a well of youth, he came to Jesus. Recognizing that Jesus was a great teacher with much wisdom, and surely this teacher of wisdom would be able to instruct him. He had sat at the feet of the greatest teachers in Israel. He was at a very young age considered a ruler of the people. That meant he was married. He was a part probably of the Sanhedrin, perhaps the head of a synagogue. He understood teaching. He had been taught much, and he had kept the teaching he had been given. He was not simply a man who listened and then went his own way. He did what he was taught. He had been taught to keep the law, and so the law he kept. He could have probably, like the Apostle Paul, said, I am perfect in every way as to legalistic righteousness. 
But it's also very clear that this man had no heart for the spiritual. He had only a heart for the improvement of the natural life of man. And through discipline, the natural life could be improved. And so he came seeking improvement in the natural life. Not even realizing that before him was the tree of life. He could not perceive that before him was the very tree of life. And that had he chosen to eat from that tree of life, nourishment would have flowed into his starving system and peace would have come into his heart. But instead, he came with blindness, unable to see atheism of the self. He could not perceive. But we're not surprised because if you read in Romans, keep your finger right there in Mark and and turn to Romans, the 8th chapter, it says in verse 6, Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 6, the mind of sinful man is death but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Or look with me at one other passage of Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Or you could just as easily use the word and be true to the Greek, they are silliness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so what I'm saying to you is that there is a whole realm of the spirit that the natural man cannot access, cannot begin to understand or apprehend. The natural man is against God. This natural man does not have the capacity intellectually to understand who Jesus is. Instead, there is just a hungering in the natural man for more and more and more of whatever it is he's hungry for. This man could just as easily have been hungry for money and come and said, I'm I'm hungry, how can I be rich? But he was already rich. He didn't need riches, he needed inward peace. And so he was coming as a pagan has come to me and said, how can I be happy? And I've simply had to say to them, I can't talk to you about happiness. It's a byproduct of something you don't want to speak about. So I can't speak to you about happiness because you have no comprehension. You have no ability to understand what I'd be talking about. It's beyond you. Now, the natural man does not like that. The natural man believes that they understand all things. Just ask them. Ask your own natural man. And see what your natural man responds And anger will rise up in his heart or her heart, saying, don't tell me I'm limited. I can comprehend all things with my great intellect. I can work out all programs. I can survive. I can take care of my family. I can defend my cause. I can even be violent if necessary. 
That's all the natural man. And there's no life in the natural man. There's only life in the spirit. The natural man will die. And this man was wise enough to know that the natural man would die. And so he said, I must have that eternal life. I must have everlasting life. I must have it. I'm willing to pay for it. But the spirit cannot be bought. He comes saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He does not come saying, master, I worship you. He does not come opening up his heart and saying, whatever you want of me, master, I will give to you. My life belongs to you. No, he was an atheist. He only believed in self. Oh, he was religious. Let's not make a a mistake here and, and think that being religious means we're not atheistic. The greatest religions of the world are all atheistic. They believe in the supremacy of the self. They believe, I am God. All I need is to have this secret information. All I need is the secret knowledge. All I need is to discipline myself, as in the Buddhist way. But they do not believe in the everlasting God of heaven, who is the one and only true God. They are atheists. So this man is coming with all of his rich treasure of Jewish history. He's coming with all of his understanding, his theological training. He is coming with all of his rituals. He's coming with all of his understanding of the feasts. He could give you a full breakdown of all of the services of the sanctuary. He could talk about the blood. He could talk about each aspect because he had the intellectual information to understand it, but he could kneel in front of a great teacher and not recognize that he was the tree of life. He could come and kneel at the feet of Jesus and not recognize that only the blood of Jesus could bring him peace. How could that be? How could that possibly be? And is that possible for us? Yes. It's possible for you to come into this house and learn the gospel of Jesus Christ and still go to hell. Hell is going to be filled with many who call themselves Christian, who have been taught the gospel, who have attended church and paid tithe. And they'll be saying, why am I in hell? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus' answer will be, because I don't know you. I don't know you. You didn't recognize who I was. You thought the whole deal was natural self. And you walked in your natural self, not in the spirit. Chapter 10 of Mark, verse 18. Jesus responds to him with a a very sharp rebuke. And the rebuke is missed because he could not apprehend the spirit. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That is a sharp rebuke. And it's one the natural man wants to avoid like the plague. Because Jesus, in just a few words, ripped away the facade of the natural man, his illusion that he has something good about him. 
How many times I hear a person say to me, Pastor, I've lived a good life. I try to love everybody. I try to be helpful to people. I try to give money to the fellowship. I, I try. Look, I'm doing my best. What more can you expect? Well, there's a great deal more I expect. I expect you to die. I expect you to be born again in the Spirit. And some of you here today have no presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are natural men and women who are having great understanding about the gospel, who are having a wonderful time in fellowship, who are under great discipline in the flesh, but you've not yet seen the Spirit. And this is the transition the National Prayer Chapel must make. And for this reason, over the coming weeks, I'm going to enlarge and enlarge and enlarge upon this until finally this this task is accomplished in this fellowship that we are utterly turned aside from the natural man and walk in the power of the Spirit. Let me just go back in the Scripture for a minute with you and remind you of a number of things that you already know, but let me tie them together. Perhaps it'll be as new for you as it was for me. When a sacrifice was placed on an altar, the blood of that sacrifice was used to cleanse from sin. But the blood of the sacrifice was not efficacious. The blood of the sacrifice was not able to accomplish its work until the fire fell on the altar. So you could have all of the sacrifices you desired on that altar. You could have the blood. You could have the death. You could have everything. But if there's no fire, there is no power. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no accomplishment of the work of God. It is utterly without merit. And so you have on Mount Carmel the great contest between the powers of Baal and the powers of God. Well, they made their sacrifice. They shed their blood. They whipped themselves and cut themselves, and blood flowed everywhere. But the blood had no power to accomplish the purpose for which it was shed. It was not until a proper altar was built, the sacrifice was laid on it, and the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed it. And not only did it consume the sacrifice, it consumed the water. It consumed the stones. It licked up everything. Everything was consumed by the fire. All through Scripture, you have no power without the fire. The fire is never in the natural. It's always spiritual. It's always spiritual. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, going to be baptized with fire. And on that day of Pentecost, tongues of fire appeared over every believer. Fire. John the Baptist was speaking about this, and and he said, I'm not worthy even 
carries sandals. One is coming after me who will baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, this fire takes us into an unnatural realm. See, all of us would be happy to sacrifice for something we believed in. I mean, we love heroes. I read the story of heroes and I weep. I love the story of heroes. Who, people who self-sacrificingly lay themselves down to save the life of another. That sort of heroism just rises up in my heart. That's all natural. Jesus did not come to be a hero. came to be a blood offering. Consumed by the fire. When the fire came, then there was power. Our God is a God of love. He's also a God of fire, a consuming fire. You notice he's not a God of fire on the stove. Many of us would like God to be like the fire on the stove. You can turn it on and you can turn it off. I had a dream about a pastor who was crying out for revival. I asked the Lord, Why is there no revival coming? And the Lord gave me a dream. This man was standing in front of a a fireplace, and he had one of these controls. And he would push the button and turn the fire on, and then he'd push the button and turn the fire off. The Lord said to me, revival does not have a remote control. Revival does not have a remote control. It's not something we can play a pretty piece of music with and the Holy Spirit comes and then we stop playing the music and the Holy Spirit goes away. No, we don't come and sing songs of praise and as we sing songs of praise, we sing until he comes and then when we quit, he goes away. Our God is not a remote control God. He's a consuming fire. He's not of the flesh. He is of the spirit. He is not of the natural. He is of the divine. And so we have to begin now to look at everything in our life in terms of, is this of the flesh or is this of the spirit? And how do we know the difference? So this man comes saying, good teacher, and Jesus says, why are you calling me good? He was really speaking an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Speaking two opposites. How could he call Jesus God and not recognize him as God? Only God is good. You see, this is so disheartening to me as I speak it because if there's anything I've tried to be in my life, it's to be good. I haven't always been successful, but it's certainly been the intent of my heart to be honest, to be fair, to be non-judgmental, to be loving. Now, I have to tell you, my family can tell me I've not pulled that off very well, and 
you're my family and you can tell me that too. There have been times when I've been very judgmental. But it's not for the lack of trying. But unfortunately, Jesus just comes right out and says, nobody's good but God. So it just wipes out all of my illusions about somehow trying hard enough to be good. You know, some churches should be called try-hard churches. And then other churches are called grace churches with no need to be good. And the natural man is very comfortable there. He's petted and patted on the back and told he's wonderful. You see, we're talking today about something totally different that we have to begin to understand and move into. And that is the realm of the spirit instead of the realm of the flesh. This man is further exposed because Jesus asks, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he says, I've, I've kept all those since I was a boy. I've got that taken care of, Jesus. Now, what else? Oh, this was a wonderful, wonderful example of the natural man in full blossom. And you have to say he was beautiful. I mean, some of you haven't been nearly as successful as this man at developing your natural self. You still get involved in those dirty fights and that squabbling and that cursing. This man... He'd done a good job. And Jesus looked at this man and said, I love this man. I love this man. Now, why would he say I love this man? I want to tell you. Some men are faced with the reality of their need for religion. And they say, I don't care. I don't care. I'll go to hell. Doesn't, doesn't bother me. I'll go to hell but I'm going to have a good time here. There are other men and women who look at their condition. They understand the natural self, and everything in their heart cries out, Oh, God, deliver me. I don't want to walk in this natural man, but I don't know how to get out of it. So I'm just going to do the best job I can do. You know, you you look at some people in the Old Testament like Caleb, You know, Caleb was probably not accepted immediately into the tribes of Israel. There are some who believe that Caleb was probably son of Ishmael. But something in Caleb's heart rose up and said, I will serve the living God of heaven. And it doesn't matter what happens to me. So when this man is is 80 years of age, he goes to Joshua and says, give me the toughest portion of the promised land, and I'll take it with my sword. I'm as strong now as I was 40 years ago. And with his sword, he went out and captured for himself the rich promise of God for a promised land. There just 
different kinds of folk. God really loves, Jesus really loves the heart of the person who says, I may not do it all right, but I'm going to sure try to serve you, God. Even though they're doing it in the natural self. Some of you have walked in that. And you need to hear today, God really loves you. Jesus really loves you. Because you've sought with all your heart to follow him. You've had no anointing of the Holy Spirit. You just want to follow God. Jesus looks at you and says, I love you. But the love of Jesus is not enough. I wish the love of Jesus were enough, but it's not. A man must be born again. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Verse 21, one thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This is always Jesus' response to the natural man. This man had great wealth, and so Jesus said, lay your wealth down. It's between your heart and mine. Other men have great ideas, and he says to those men, lay your great ideas down. Some people want to do something great for God, and he says, lay down your vision of doing something great for God and just follow me. Some people want to be a wonderful provider for their family. And he says, lay down wanting to be a wonderful provider for your family and follow me. Some want to have a a wonderful lifestyle. Some of you just flat out want to be mad. And he says, lay your anger down and follow me. Whatever it is in the natural man that prevents you from following Jesus, his word to you is, first, I love you. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should have eternal life. The love of God is not enough. You have to also then take that next step and believe on Jesus Christ. And when you believe on Jesus Christ, you cannot believe in your natural self. The natural self has no affinity to the Lord Jesus. It requires a laying down of whatever that is in our heart that we are determined we will hold on to and maintain, and we simply ask Jesus to come and prove it for us. The Lord God of heaven is not in the housing improvement business. He determines to build new structures. He's a builder, but he's not a home improvement builder. He's not interested in improving your life. He's interested in you being born again of the Spirit, walking in the newness of life, no longer struggling with those sins that have beset you in your natural man, because the victory is won. You're delivered. You no longer walk in the old way. You walk in the new way of the Spirit. The book of James, the fourth chapter 
This is Pastor James speaking, the brother of Jesus. He's speaking to his congregation. The fourth verse. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, there's another place in Scripture where the same passage is quoted. I want to show it to you. You probably are familiar with it, but, but let's turn to it. In the book of 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, the same passage of Scripture is again quoted for us. Beginning with verse 5, this is 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. You understand, anxiety is a natural response to crisis. When you have anxiety in your heart, you know you're walking in the natural man and not in the spirit man. The spirit man is peace and joy, long-suffering. The natural man is anxiety, anger, determined to get my way. Now, we've just touched very briefly on the acid test for whether you are living in the natural man or you're living in the spirit. Apply the test, please, only to yourself. Don't measure your neighbor, else you will be in the natural man. The acid test is this. Pride always stands in defense of the natural man. Humbleness of heart, lowliness of spirit, always stands for the Holy Spirit. And so if in your heart you have rising up self-defense, you are walking in the natural man. If in your spirit there is anger against a brother or sister, know that that is pride. And pride burns hot in the natural man. There is the fire of the spirit and there is the pride of life. They are the two opposite sides of the same coin. And so when we experience this lifting up of ourselves, this defense of ourselves, this proud attitude that says, I'm right. Oh, pride loves to dress up in Sunday go-to-church clothes. Pride loves to be dressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But if the heart is still filled with arrogant pride, with haughtiness of spirit, I'm not getting my way here. I'm not being treated the way I ought to be treated here. Accusations begin to flow from the lips. You know that that's the fire of pride that's burning in that brother or sister's heart. And when you see it, you recognize it. When you see it in your own heart, you recognize it. And you know in that case, you must be born again of the Spirit. It says in verse 22, At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here is a man who was called to be an apostle in the same manner as Peter and James and John. And he turned down the call to become an apostle for eternity under Jesus Christ for money. For money. For the natural self. He would not allow the natural man with its possessions to die that he might serve as an apostle to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the word apostle means. It means the sent one. The Sanhedrin would come to a decision. And the person who was sent from the Sanhedrin with the word of their legal decision to the party who was involved was called an apostle. He was the sent one. He had the determination of the Sanhedrin regarding the case. So an apostle is one who is sent out with the word that we have been justified by faith. We have been declared not guilty by the counsel of God. That's called in Scripture the gospel or the good news. It's good news because we've been found not guilty. The death penalty is not upon us. We have escaped death. That's the good news. That's why apostles were sent. And the apostle went with signs and wonders so that the person's faith would reach up and say, I can believe in this Jesus. This man walked away sad. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That word hard had great interest for me. I wanted to know if it was the same root word in the Greek that meant work hard at it, struggle. So in other words, if the rich person struggled, they could be saved. No, that's not the Greek word that's meant here. The word that's meant here is rather how impractical it is how impractical it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because the natural man would see no purpose to be served by joining the kingdom of God because they have their bases covered. And so it's impractical for them to give away all that they have. That's impractical. It's very inconvenient. And likewise, Jesus could have said about a person who was filled with ambition, how impractical it would be with your ambition 
to enter the kingdom of God because you've got your own plans. You're on your own mission. You have your own course. Why would you change courses and follow after the cross? The cross is only going to mean you have to give it up. So I ask you today, what is it in your heart that makes it impractical for you to be born again of the Spirit? What is it that is so precious to your heart that you cannot let go of it and follow after Jesus? For some of you, it is just simply your pride. I would rather die than humble my heart. Then you will die. And the flames of hell will be hot. We all must face this. Will I walk in the natural man filled with my pride and my arrogance and my hostility, my bitterness of heart, will I follow after that natural man, dressing it up in all the beautiful clothes of religion? Or will I cast aside the natural man and lay it on the altar and let the fire of God consume it? How much of an investment do you have in being a natural man? How invested are you in the right to be angry, the right to be anxious, the right to be judgmental, the right to be successful, the right to have your own lifestyle, the right to go where you want to go and be what you want to be? How much investment do you have in this? Because you see, essentially, what we're talking about today is self-life. Self-life means you are an atheist. It means you cannot apprehend and cannot understand the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. What fills your heart and mind is how will I survive tomorrow? What will I eat tomorrow? What will I wear tomorrow? What house will I live in tomorrow? What am I going to do for fun tomorrow? That's the natural man. The man of the Spirit humbles his heart before God and says, I have no future but you. I have no hope but you. I have no desire but you. I have no place to go but to you, Jesus. You are everything to me. Where are you today in this process of of being born again? in the spirit. You understand the issues. Jesus, again, spoke the disciples in verse 24, are amazed at his words because to their natural thinking, and they, by the way, even at this point in their walk with Jesus, are still all natural men. None of the disciples have been born again yet. They're all natural men. Oh, they can perform miracles because Jesus gave them temporary authority overriding the natural man. But they're still all natural men. They're not saved. If they die, they don't go to heaven at this stage. They were not born again until the crucifixion and the agony of finally knowing that they too had to go to the cross, they too had to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus. They all fled. They didn't follow Jesus. They fled. 
Jesus said, he shows his love again. He says, children, children. You ever hear God say, my child, my son, my daughter, my child. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And again, it's how impractical it is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any sense to follow Jesus Christ. Everything in our natural flesh says, don't do it. You're going to lose more than you get. And anytime you're going to lose more than you get, it's a bad business deal. What would you think if I started a business and I underbid everything so that every job cost me more money? Every job cost me more money than I was paid to do the job. You'd say, you're a fool. What are you, a charitable organization? You've got to make a profit. Well, now we face it. Following Jesus is going to be very impractical. You're not going to make a profit. You're going to lose everything. In fact, you're going to lose your life. Now, do you still want to follow Jesus? And what are you going to get out of it? Are you following Jesus because you think you're going to get to go to heaven? And Jesus comes and he says, give all that you have and come and follow me and then we'll talk about going to heaven. He won't even talk with this man about going to heaven until he's given away all that he has and follows him. We think because we can talk about going to heaven that that means we're going. We think because we can intellectually understand some of the doctrines of the gospel that that means we have the benefits of the gospel. But it's not true. Those benefits only come by a transition from the natural man to a spirit man because all of the benefits of the gospel are spiritual. They're not of the flesh. The spiritual will manifest itself in the realm that we live in Peace, joy, love, the fruit of the Spirit. The disciples were even more amazed. They said to each other, who then can be saved? Speaking about this rich man, he's saying, it's harder for him to enter into heaven than to go through the eye of a needle, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. In other words, it's impossible. It's impossible for the natural man to enter into the kingdom of God. It won't happen. Regardless of how religious the natural man is, regardless of how much success he has in disciplining his flesh, the natural man will not enter into the kingdom of God. When I was in college, I had an old professor, Felix Lawrence. He brought me into his office one day, and he sat there, and did something I'd never seen a professor do before. He wept before me. Great floods of tears coming from his face. I finally said, sir, what's wrong? Sir, what's wrong? He said, there was a mama, pregnant, sitting in a service. 
And the preacher was talking about justification by faith. And this mama couldn't grasp this truth. And she wept like I'm weeping. Because she knew if she didn't understand this great truth, that her baby would be lost. And she sat and wept for her baby. That her baby could be birthed in the truth of justification by faith. He said, I was that little baby. And my mama finally understood it. Now, Ray, I'm weeping for you. That you could understand it. I was deeply moved, but I said to myself, hey, what gives? I understand it. I'm a senior theological major. I've had Greek. I understand it. But I watched as this man continued to weep before me and to open before me the gospel of Jesus Christ as I'd never heard it spoken of before. He was the first man other than my father that I'd ever met who could speak about the gospel in a spiritual manner rather than in a natural manner. Until I began to weep with him. Because I knew I had to understand the gospel or I too would be lost. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Today, you may be saying, well, if we have to make this transition from the natural to the spiritual at the National Prayer Chapel, we might as well give up now because who can be saved among us? Jesus would answer, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. We're going to have to come into a, a whole new place that the natural man can't go, that the flesh can't inhabit, a place of the spirit, a place where the fire doesn't go out. That's what revival is. When the spirit of God comes and it doesn't go out, that's revival. And that only comes when the men and women who are part of that fellowship turn aside from the natural man and weep before God and say, I must have this understanding, and I must have it in the fullness of the fire of the Holy Ghost. I'm not willing to live this kind of life anymore. I've got the knowledge, but I have no fire. I have to have the fire. It's this fire that we're missing. And it must be ignited, and it cannot be ignited by the natural man. It must be ignited by the Holy Ghost as we offer up that sacrifice. It means giving up all that we have and all that we desire. Every natural desire of the natural man must be released and let go of that we would have the desires of Jesus Christ. Today, do you need the fire of God? you need a baptism in the Holy Ghost? I do. Would you pray for me as I pray for you? Would you weep for me as I weep for you? But the Holy Spirit 
will be poured out in this house. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground, Lord, lift me up and let me stand, by faith on Catch a gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, let me on.